Good morning, church. Can you hear me all right? We're we coming through? All right, fantastic. It's great to see your beautiful faces this morning. My name is Pastor Jason, and I am the adult discipleship pastor here at Chapel Rock Christian Church. And before we get started, there are just a few things I need to reiterate that, for one, uh, just like Cal said, if you're attending the congregational meeting uh, dinner next week, make sure you write on your connection card how many will be attending and circle that number. If you already did it, don't do it again. Don't do it. We're just trying to get accurate numbers of who's going to be attending. And if you're joining us online, you can do that online through uh, chapelrock.org backslash connect for the online uh, connection card. I also want to just uh, re, uh, also announce that, um, to announce the passing of Eula Emery. She's been a longtime member here at Chapel Rock Christian Church, and she passed away on Friday evening. So the details of her service are still pending, but if you could, just keep the family in your prayers. And one more thing. Uh, next week, we will have the parade of shoe boxes. So if you have a shoe box that you packed for uh, Operation Christmas Child, bring them in next week so you can be part of that parade of boxes coming forward. And I believe that's it that we have this morning. Okay, so we've been in a new series, a series called Thrive Mode. We've been looking at the, the history of Israel as they were coming out of slavery. It was a time of deep loss and sadness and oppression and trauma for them. And in, as they were making their way to the promised land, they've been in survival mode for so long. And God was trying to, to get them to uh, flip the switch into a thrive mode. He wanted them to thrive, to flourish, and to be blessed. Now, we've, we ourselves have spent the last few years in survival mode, but we believe that the Lord is trying to tell us to switch into a thrive mode. You made it this far, this far by God's grace. So now what? Where do we go from here? Well, each, each message that we've had as part of this series, we had some sort of residential expert from Chapel Rock to be able to share a little, bit, a little tidbit about how we can thrive in different aspects in our lives. This morning, I have the, uh, have the pleasure to uh, introduce to you uh, Jody Bent. Jody Bent was going to share on the topic of our, uh, of our physical health, and she's also part of our life group, and I'm very thankful for her and her husband to be a part of that. So if you could, can you give her a, a warm welcome? Thank you. Morning. Good morning, Chapel Rock. Thank you for letting me um, have a few minutes of your time today. We're gonna be talking about physical health and I want to challenge you church to get your sweat on, <laughs> okay? All right, so I'm using an acrostic. So S for stewardship, W for weight management, E for energy, A for accountability, and T for train. All right, so 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 tells us, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 
So physical health and taking care of your body is a way that we can practice stewardship. God has gifted us with our body, so we need to take care of our body. Why? Because God said so, right? All right. So one of the leading causes of death is coronary heart disease. It is for men and women here in the United States. And it's a very preventable thing. Three things that contribute to premature death and disease is, number one, smoking. Number two, overweight or obesity. And number three, alcohol. Now, we can all survive a cigarette. We can all survive having a few extra pounds. And we can all survive maybe having a drink or two. But this today, we're talking about not just surviving, but thriving. So I challenge you to make some lifestyle changes and um, to live a little healthier, maybe eliminate and reduce those things. One of the ways that we can take care of our body, I'm going to focus in on weight management. There's a lot of fad diets out there and, oh, I'm going to lose a little weight around my love handle, so I'm going to do 50 crunches. It doesn't quite work like that, okay? Energy cannot be destroyed. What we take in, energy for our food, our bodies, it's calories, right? And it doesn't just magically disappear if we eliminate a carbohydrate or if we eat the right combination of vegetables and protein and all of that. All food is energy. And our energy is either expended through physical activity or we get fat, right? So we have love handles or a little extra weight on there. So I want to challenge you, church, don't get caught up in the fad diets of, you know, eliminating this food group and, you know, being crazy about this activity. It's all about balancing energy, what you take in, exercise, use up your energy, use up the food, okay? All right, so stewardship. Right? We're supposed to take care of our body because God has asked us to do so. Right? Number two, weight management. One of the ways that we can manage our weight is to balance our energy. Okay? We don't need to eliminate carbohydrates again. Right? We just need to eat balanced, proportioned meals, balanced food, and exercise. All right. A for accountability. You don't have to do this alone. Ask for help. If you need help getting yourself into shape or improving your health, don't be afraid to ask a neighbor, say, hey, can we go on a walk three times a week around the, around the neighborhood? Or, hey, can you call and check up on me and ask me how I'm, how I'm doing with my eating and, and exercise? Okay? We're a body of believers here. Let's be in relationship. Let's help one another. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Okay, and another way that we can keep ourselves accountable is by writing things down. Write what you eat down and write what you do for exercise, for activity. Okay, these are actually evidence-based practices. If you write things down and you ask people to help, you will do better. Okay, all right, T for train. All right, training, stretching, resistance, and cardio. A lot of people are really prone to just do the cardio piece. Let's just go on a walk, let's go on a hike, let's go on a run, let's do some tennis, that kind of thing. It's easy and it's quick. These are important things, cardio. 
But I really want to challenge you to do some resistance training as well, building muscles. Okay, building muscles helps increase your metabolism, which then burns the energy, right? And it also gives us the strength to be able to do what we need to do. Resistance training is an important piece that a lot of people leave out of their exercise regimen. And uh, the third thing, stretching. A lot of people don't like to warm up or cool down. Okay, take some time to stretch. All right, and active stretching is a better way to start off an, um, an exercise routine. So active stretching is like moving a joint like this versus static, which is holding. Static stretching is better for after your workout. Stretching is important because it increases your range of motion, which then increases your ability to move that muscle, to work that muscle, and to gain strength. It's also good for balance. We want to eliminate falls and unnecessary injuries. Okay, so church, we talked about stewardship, weight management, energy, accountability, and training. Thank you for your time, church. Have a great day. So much, Jody. I really appreciate Jody and the value that she adds to our church. And I think what she was able to share with us today on how we can thrive on our physical health, it was very helpful. I think the information was great, but we can only thrive and we can only thrive if we respond to it. The information that she gives us can only be effective if we actually put it into action. And I think it dovetails very well with today's big idea. It's this, thriving is conditional on obedience. Thriving is conditional on obedience, specifically to obedience to God's word. It's only when we follow his instructions that we do something with it, that thriving is able to take place. We're going to take a closer look at that in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 11, or verses 13 through 25. Deuteronomy chapter 11, 13 through 25. And if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to that. We're gonna camp out there for today's uh, uh, main passage. Or if you have your phones, you can scroll through on your apps. See, we find there that Moses, Moses provides his people with three different aspects to obedience for their thriving as they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. And I think these three aspects have something to tell us today is very much relevant to us today in our own thriving. Moses gives them, he gives us these three things. First, he gives us a command, a command to keep. Then he gives us a caution of a curse and then a call to courage. A command to keep, a caution of a curse and a command to, to a call to courage. But I'd like to set up today's uh, sermon with a brief history lesson. Going back to Genesis 12, we see how God makes a promise to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verses one through six, there he says, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. It's through you that the nations of the world would be blessed. God makes him a promise that through him, there will come a nation. God promises him land and through him that there will be a worldwide blessing. Now fast forward, fast forward a few, a few hundred years. Now we have Moses. 
Moses. God makes an agreement, this covenant with Moses. And it's this covenant, if you don't know what a covenant is, it's basically a whole this idea where if you have a king, a king makes this agreement, this king, the greater, makes an agreement with the lesser, the servant. If this servant fulfills his part of the agreement, there'll be blessing and rewards from that king. If he doesn't, there'll be curses. There'll be a withdrawal of his provision. And in Deuteronomy verses 26 through 28, he puts it there very clearly that there'll be blessing if they obey the commands of the Lord their God and there'll be curses if they disobey his commands and follow after the other gods and the ways of the land uh, that they were going to be entering into instead of the ways of the Lord. So imagine, here's Moses with God's people and they're on the cusp of entering into the promised land. They just need to cross over the Jordan River God made a promise. It's theirs for the taking. But deja vu. Moses has been here before. 40 years prior. Pastor Casey preached on it a few weeks ago. That comes from Numbers chapter 14, 1 through 4. See, they were getting ready to enter into the promised land even back then. But because of their mistrust of God, because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion, they never got to go in the land that God had promised to them. It was waiting for them. Because of that, they would not enter into the promised land. The people of that generation would end up wandering in the desert and perishing there. But that next generation during that time, whoever was 20, 20 years and younger would go on. They would go through the wilderness. And they would be able to experience God in a different way. They would experience God that they would learn how to trust him in his provision as they wandered in that desert. The ones who disobeyed when they were ready to enter, they perished in the desert. This promise is now for that next generation. God gave them food from heaven as they wandered. He gave them water that came from the rocks. He gave them clothes that did not wear out. It's true. Deuteronomy 8. I don't know what it was made of, but clothes that did not wear out. They would learn that they could trust God. They would know him in a different way. They would need to know that before they go into this new promised land that he alone was their provider. And here was Moses with them. Moses would not be able to go into the promised land. But boy, he loved his people. And he's pleading with them with all the passion of a pastor. Say, hold on to the, to the commands of the Lord with all your heart. Obey what he has given you. See, Moses knew what was on the other side. Moses was trying to tell him, don't follow your ancestors who disobeyed and failed in, in receiving that blessing of this promised land. This land had wickedness, wickedness that had been growing since the time of Abraham. Their dreams were ready to come true, but there was a lot of danger that lied ahead of them. How would they remain to be a holy people before God, set apart from him to represent him in this new land how would they preserve their relationship with their God? 
would they be drawn away again to follow after other gods? Would they just become like the rest of the people? Or would they live to be a people set apart, showing the way to our God? So Moses, Moses gives them a command to keep. This is our first point, a command to keep. Wholehearted obedience leads to God-given provision and satisfaction. Wholehearted obedience leads to God-given provision and satisfaction. And when we obey all the way, God provides and we are satisfied. Moses laid it out for the Israelites that there's benefits to this covenant. That only that could only be experienced if they were devoted to their God, their sovereign king, in every aspect of their lives. They were to obey all the commands of the Lord, to be able to hear, to listen to, to pay close attention to, and respond in faithfulness to him. Their love to God was to be expressed by keeping his commands. Their way, this was their way of being able to express an absolute loyalty, devotion, and commitment to him instead of the other gods. It was a faith that included the mind and the intellect, but it didn't stop there. It wasn't as if they were given a test and they fill in the bubbles and they're graded on it and it's given back to them. So you passed, you get to go in. Their test would be in this new land. Would they be drawn away? It's a faith that goes here It comes down here into their hearts, to their souls, to the very fiber of their being. Jesus, Jesus resonated the same sentiment. He said, if you love me, keep my commands. This is how they were to be able to express love and loyalty to God and to be in that relationship. And I think about even like the vows with me and my wife, the vows that we made before God. If I keep those vows, it goes well for me. If I don't, I think you know what can happen. So God says that there's a condition to this obedience. He says this in verse 13. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. He tells them, if you keep these commands, if you keep his instructions, then it will result in his God-given provision and satisfaction. This provision came in the form of the timely rains that came in the autumn and then in the spring. And as a result of that, it would produce an abundant harvest. God was sovereign over time, over seasons, over nature itself. In verses 10 through 12 there, we find that this land was very different from the land of Egypt where they had to irrigate the land by foot to be able to produce their vegetable gardens. The land that God was preparing for them, God would provide the rains from the heavens and the land would drink it up. God was preparing this land for them. He was caring for it. He was tending it to it. 
If you've ever seen a house for sale, they'll have a sign that says for sale, but sometimes it has another sign underneath it. It'll say move in ready. The land of Canaan, the promised land, was move in ready. God had prepared it for them. And he wanted to be sure that they don't forget who he is, that he was their provision and their source of satisfaction. In Deuteronomy verses 14 through 15. Then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain, new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. And then Moses goes on to say, don't forget the Lord, your God. Don't forget to observe his commands, his instruction. Lest you be tempted to forget, to forget that he was the source and provision of all that they were able to enjoy and maybe even have pride in in the works of their own hands. See, if we are neglecting our faith and we're not allowing the word of God to permeate and to permeate us into the very inner recesses of our hearts and beings, if we're not letting the word of God to examine us, we forget God's place in our lives and we can become prideful. In our abundance, it's so easy to explain away the Lord our God, how he has been our provision. In Deuteronomy 8, I'm just going to paraphrase this. But he says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. He says in verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant he swore to his ancestors as it is today. In our prosperity, it can become very easy to be lazy in our faith, to become very complacent and failing to recognize the hand of God as the blessings in our lives. But I, I do need to address this. Does faithfulness guarantee blessing, prosperity? How about those who reject Jesus? There's more than one rich man that did that. Don't even the wicked prosper? Job chapter 21, verses 7 through 16, he asks that same question. Well, when we look at Jesus, he suffered. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He died on the cross. Was he cursed? In Hebrews 12, chapter 12, verse 2, it says that he endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy set before him. And he now sits at the right hand of God. Don't forget that there's a greater reward waiting. What we get in this life are cheap chotskis compared to the, the reward that awaits us. And that, reward, that reward lasts for eternity. 
When we look at the story of Job, we see, we see how God is sovereign, that he does what he wills to accomplish purposes that we may not be able to see in the here and now, in this moment. We see at the very beginning of Job how God has a conversation with Satan. Job doesn't know this conversation. But Satan says, yeah, Job loves you. Yeah, sure, he loves you. You made him prosperous. He's got wealth. He's got family. He's got health. Yeah, he follows you. Sure. And then God says that, no, he's a good, he's a righteous man. Job loves the giver of the gift, not just the gift. We see this relationship that he has with his God and the questions that he asks. But even having prosperity, prosperity itself, that can be a hindrance to our faith. It could be a hindrance to knowing God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. We are still on a journey to our promised land. Yeah, we're still experiencing it. We experience it in part right now, but its fullness still lies ahead in the future. Our great reward, our promised land begins when Jesus returns. And he promises that he would be with us each and every step of the way of this journey. So we got to hear about this command to keep, to wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly obey. Wholehearted obedience leads to God-given provision and satisfaction, a satisfaction that can only be found in him. Now we're moving on to a curse, the caution of a curse. Be careful, be careful not to be enticed and turned away. Moses cautioned them to be on guard. It was a warning not to be deceived and led in the wrong direction. He tells them not to be even in the least bit open to the way of living of those that were in this land. Moses knew. He knew the Canaanite gods of fertility. He knew they were the gods of over rain, over grain, over oil, with their sensual worship and ritual sex and a lack of ethics or even a moral code. He knew that they may be drawn away from the Lord their God, enticed, turning away. Their devotion would be tested. And if they failed, they would fail to reflect the holiness and the character of God. You see, it was through the nation of Israel that that the world would be blessed by their relationship with their God. If they are enticed, if they are turned away, the nations couldn't know who the true God was, his ways, or know how to be in relationship with him. You see, the gods of the ancient Near East, they were very fickle. They were very unpredictable. They were morally questionable. The people didn't know how to relate to them. How could they? You know, it's so ironic because these gods were gods that they created. They were a reflection of themselves. But God's covenant, his commands to his people 
It provided a sure way to relate to their God as the, as the people were reflection, not just a reflection of their God, but they'd be known for their understanding and their wisdom. That when they prayed that their God, our God was near to them, that their God was powerful, that their God was their provision and our provision. See, the Israelites, they were meant to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a light for the Gentiles. It was through them that salvation, that was salvation was a reach to the ends of the earth. They were to be a light for the nations. They were to open the eyes of the blind. In Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, it says the people walking, this is a prophet of Israel speaking to the people. He says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. In Matthew chapter four, verse 14, there it says that Jesus was the fulfillment of that light. In verse 17, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The way to the father is through the son, Jesus Christ. We reflect his goodness by keeping his commands. This is how the nations would know him. Jesus came as a light in the darkness. The word of God made flesh, preaching the light of the gospel. We hear this as it comes through uh, Jesus, passed on to his disciples, to his, defo- to his followers, and on to us today. In Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16, it says... You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's when we are in the word of God and allow it to permeate our lives and let the word of God bring conviction to show us, maybe like a light to show us, maybe those parts of our lives that we're withholding from God. Maybe it'll allow us to be able to live in a way that would honor his name, that maybe we'll see our good deeds and know that the Lord, our God, is the one true God. But in disobedience, if Israel was to disobey, it incurred a curse, a withdrawal of God's provision and threatened judgment. Throughout the Old Testament, we see time and time again, God's people disobeying. And we see God's grace so much throughout the Old Testament. But that's God's side of things. He, he chooses to show grace but he still asks us, if you love me, you obey what I command. The way they lived, it was to be a testimony of the God that they served. That his, God, his name is indeed holy. His character is holy and his name is great. See, during this time, God was driving out the wickedness in the lands. That word, drive out, that's, seven, that's in Deuteronomy 79 times. 
And if God's people couldn't live that way, the way of the Lord in the land, they would be caught up in the judgment too. Our testimony, the testimony of our lives, the gospel lived out in our lives is greatly dimmed if we're not fully reflecting the God we serve. Be careful not to be enticed and turn away. So my question for us is, how deep do our loyalties lie? How deep does your loyalty lie to our God and King? What might you be withholding from him? So we got to hear a command to keep, the caution of a curse, and now it leads us to a call to courage. Do not be afraid. We find this in verses 22 through 25. Remember, we have this history with God's people, how they mistrusted God. They didn't go into the promised land the first time. There was fear. There's fear of giants in the land. Now they, go, they would be going into a land where the nations were larger and stronger than them. Moses reassures them that God goes with you. No one can stand against you, he says, and instead they're going to fear them. The nations will fear them. If God is for them, who could be against them, right? So, verses 22 through 25, Deuteronomy chapter 11. If you carefully observe all these commands that I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land, wherever you go. In Deuteronomy chapter 21 through 4, it says that they would be going to war with their enemies. The armies would be greater than them. But God says, do not be afraid. He's going to be with them. That he would be with them as they go into battle. He tells them, don't be faint-hearted. Don't be afraid. Do not panic. Do not be terrified of them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. God was in, a, in his plan. He was driving out the darkness in the land. And it would be the reputation of their God that would go before them. That the peoples of the nations who served these other gods who lived in a very different way, they would be driven out of the land. And I think a good example of this is in Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. There we see that Rahab, Rahab was just a good, good example of this, of a people being driven out by the fear of the Lord and by the fear of God's people. Joshua, Joshua who would now be leading God's people, he sends two spies into Jericho. And they were found out by this woman, Rahab. And this is her response. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land 
and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. The hearts of God's people were devoted to the Lord while the hearts of the enemy were melting and they were being devoted to destruction. Church, do you want to keep his commands? Do you want to keep his instruction? Do you want to be cautious of the curse? Do you want to be courageous in the call? Then be intentional. Be intentional. Be intentionally fixed on the word of God. And that's where we're going to land today, today's application. Be intentionally fixed on his word. And we find that in verses 18 through 21. And I think that's the crux, that's the focus of this entire passage. It goes back to be intentional on the word of God. See, we, we, are be, we are constantly tempted to live outside the will of God, just as the Israelites were, who were about to enter into this land and would be as they entered the land. They would be enticed. They would be drawn away from their God to these other gods. Their loyalty and their commitment to him would be tested. And in their prosperity, they would grow lazy. Question is, would they compromise their faith? The whole today's passage hangs on this we find that God's word was to be moved and set into their hearts into their minds into the very recesses of their being their souls their being we find reminders in this passage of 18 through 21 we find reminders of God's commands everywhere in the way they lived and where they lived life and their teachings as they pass down these stories of their history to the next generation, just as our faith is being passed down to the next generation, as we make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who follow full-heartedly with wholehearted obedience after God. So verse 18 through 21. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. So how are you being intentional about the word of God in your life? How are you being intentional, as Apostle Paul put it, laying the word of Christ to dwell in you richly? How are you being intentional to pour your faith into another, 
into another relationship? How are you being intentionally reminded to be in God's word? How can we thrive if we don't take his word into our hearts? So today, I thought this was a fitting challenge. You may not be writing them on the door frames, but maybe take even a card. Write this passage on it. If you have trouble writing, type it out. Meditate on it this week, asking the Lord, how, how, can I, how can I be more intentional about my faith? Is it being in, in uh, relationships with God's people? Is it about being intentional about God's word, having those reminders? God has a specific way that he wants to speak to you on how you respond. On the back, just start writing some things as you meditate on this throughout the week. What might be God leading you to do? Because unless we know the word of God, how will we thrive? And it's out of that that we can most reflect him. So Jody's tips on how to thrive in our physical health, I thought were very helpful. But we can only thrive if we intentionally put them into practice. And it's the same with our faith. Unless we are intentional about our faith, how can we reflect well on the God that we serve? Thriving is conditional on obedience to God's word. Right now, right now as the music plays, I wanna invite you, for those of you who have yet to take that first step, to know our good and holy God who wants to have this relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ. I wanna invite you to come forward. We would love to be able to pray with you. Maybe there's parts of your life that you came to realize today that maybe you're withholding from the Lord. You're holding on to it so tight. Maybe you're even enslaved to it. God didn't bring you this far to be enslaved. He wants you to be free. Maybe you need to take a next step. Maybe it's getting baptized. Maybe that's your next step of obedience. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. Maybe you're really being stretched in your faith and you're starting to wonder, God, where are you? I want to give you this opportunity to come forward and we would love to be able to pray for you. So as the music plays, come.